Well, good morning, Grace Gospel Church. Beautiful um, worship music this morning. How it dovetails with what our brother Joe read from us from Matthew 21. Two of the songs that we sang, sang focused in particular on worshiping the Lord. And that's exactly what we see happening in the passage that our brother read for us. We know that when the Lord repeated something, when he said truly, truly, or verily, verily, that was important. This passage that our brother read for us is one of the few parts of our Lord's life and ministry that is recorded in all four Gospels. This is a truly, 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 truly. Should we pay attention to this? Is this message that the Lord God had inspired in Matthew 21? Is it important to us? He said four times, essentially, truly. He wants us to learn this. He wants us to hear this. He wants us to understand it. He wants our hearts, our souls to respond to it. The triumphal entry, which we call Palm Sunday because of what our brother Joe read for us, that some cut branches off of palm trees and laid them on the pathway, and our Lord rode over them. If you like titles to messages, the title of today's message is Praise Him, He is Your King. It doesn't matter whether you bow the knee to him now this morning. It does not change the fact that he is your rightful king, your rightful Lord, your rightful sovereign, yours and mine. He is. Our acceptance of that doesn't change the fact of his kingship or his lordship. He is Lord over all. And as we sang in that beautiful him that our brother Paul DeMano wrote, taking the words of Scripture, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. Right from the pages of Philippians chapter 2. It's true. Every knee will. We either do it willingly in this life or we will be made to do it. We will do it out of abject fear of the righteous judge, Jesus Christ, when he sits upon his throne. In this passage, the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed as yours and mine rightful king, the prophesied messianic king, the son of David who would rule over all the earth. Jesus is revealed as your righteous king who is worthy of all worship. And that's what we want to learn about this morning, worship. Everything that we're going to talk about this morning focuses back on how the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed in these 17 verses in Matthew 21. If you take only one thing away from this morning's message, one thing home with you that you can pray fervently about and you can put into practice in your life is that without Holiness, without personal holiness in your life, your worship is meaningless. And so is mine without personal holiness. This will come out very clearly in the later verses of this passage as we work our way, beginning with verse 1 through the passage. We're going to look at this passage under three main headings. Preparing to truly worship him. Truly worship him. Not made up worship, but true worship. There is true worship, and sadly, there is false worship. We want to talk about praising him in true worship. What does that look like? And then also pondering him in true worship. Very often we call the musical time, the musical worship, we call that the worship time. But in point of fact, as we've learned in a number of messages, everything we do here, in fact, every moment of our lives is to be an act of worship. 
Even the preaching of God's word is to be an act of worship. The hearing the preaching of God's word is to be an act of worship. Our bodies are to be presented as a living and holy sacrifice. Sacrifice is a worship word. The Israelites worshiped the Lord God with animal sacrifices. God doesn't want dead animals from us. He wants living souls, you and I, to worship him with every aspect, every facet, every moment of our life. And so, as we ponder what God's word has to say, we want it to produce in us an attitude of true worship to him. So let's dig right in, preparing to truly worship him. There is preparation that is needed for worship. It's not like some gambling game where you just roll the dice. Oh, I got a seven. That's worship. You know, that, that's not it. There is preparation involved in worshiping him. It doesn't just happen by chance. What went on here this morning required hours of rehearsal and practice and coming together by the music ministry so that they blend and, the, and our AV ministry to, to operate all the equipment to bring their voices in balance. There's preparation in true worship. And it's not just the mechanics of what went on. It's the heart of everyone who was up here leading us in praise and worship to the Lord. So let's see what the scriptures have to say about preparing for true worship. True worship involves imperatives. It involves commands, believe it or not. When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying, go into the village opposite you and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. Worship involves imperatives. Worship is not an optional activity for the true believer in Jesus Christ. As I stated, our entire life is to be an act of worship. It's not, oh, it's a sunny day and the birds are singing and it's warm outside. I feel like worshiping. No, worship doesn't depend upon feelings. It depends upon the commands of Scripture. Worship is not optional. Notice who this command, this imperative came from. Jesus sent. It comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. Throughout Scripture, God tells us to worship him, that he and he alone deserves our worship, our devotion, our allegiance. Worship involves him. Imperatives. It is not an optional activity. We ought to be worshiping as much as possible, not just here collectively, though we are to do that. We're not to forsake the gathering together, as is the habit of some, according to Hebrews 10. We are to gather together, but even individually or as a family unit, we can still worship. Have you ever thought about your 60 to 90 minute commute to Boston or back down to this area if you happen to be one who has to make that drive? Did you ever think about that as an act of worship? While you're busy trying to watch out for all the other cars and trying to maintain your Christian composure and praying for the person who just cut you off? That's an act of worship. Your commute is an act of worship. Think about that. If you don't have a commute, how about, how about preparing dinner for the family? An act of worship. Everything we do is an act of worship. Jesus said, go, that is a command. Untie, that is a command. Bring, that is a command. Just as he gave his disciples commands through the Bible, the word of God, we have commands to worship as well. True worship requires insight. He said, go immediately. He knew exactly where that donkey and her colt was in the city. Immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them. And get this, he knew this. Immediately he will send them. 
How did he know what would be done? How did he know that individual would comply? He's the sovereign Lord of all. True worship requires insight. The Lord Jesus Christ provided them through his words insight into the preparation for that triumphal entry, which was truly an act of worship. They sang praises to him. They acknowledged him for who he was. And Christ's words gave them insight to prepare properly to ensure the success of their worship. The same, again, is true. God's word is not optional in worship. It gives us all we need to know so that we may immediately worship, so that we may address any situation as an act of worship in our response to it. True worship requires instructions. He said, go, you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them. Bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord has need of them. He gave instructions. The word of God is our instruction. You know, if there's one, well, easily in the top five, indictments that we could make of the modern-day American evangelical church, it would be that it is me-centered. It is not Christ-centered. I get to decide how I will worship the Lord. I don't need to go to God's word, is the attitude of so many. Whatever makes me feel good, that's worship. Well, okay, I won't deny it makes someone feel good. I actually had a brother tell me this not too long ago. And I held my tongue. Maybe I should have said, that's interesting. How does it make the Lord feel? Where was the Lord in everything that had been mentioned to me? He was absent. God's word gives us instructions. Sure, some things are optional. You're not going to find instruction as to whether or not you should have drums or whether you should have electronic drums or the real thing. The Lord leaves some choices up to you and I. There are legitimate choices there. It is legitimate to differ in certain ways regarding worship, but there's certain non-negotiables that should be true of every local church and of every believer in Jesus Christ if they are preparing and engaging in true worship. True worship requires inspiration. And again, I'm not talking about here what makes me feel good. Have you noticed thus far how much the Lord's words were involved in preparation for true worship? Here now, he even references Zechariah the prophet, that verse in blue that we read together with our brother Joe. This, was, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Inspiration. This was God's word, inspired by the Holy Spirit. God's inspired word is what should give us the guidance, the instruction, the inspiration, so to speak, to worship truly. After all, did not Jesus Christ say in John 4, the hour is coming and now is when those who worship the Father will worship him in spirit and in truth. You need both. Worship by means of the Spirit, and by means of the truth. Both are required for true worship. And the Word of God, the inspired Word of God, that is what ought to be our primary motivator, to know Him, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. 
And that is the inspiration for worship, to truly know him. The more you know him, the more you will love him and worship him. True worship requires initiation. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them. They didn't depart. They didn't say, oh, I got a better idea, Lord. Why don't we do it this way? No, they went and did just as he had instructed them. It requires initiation. It's not enough merely to say, okay, I'm going to plan to worship. Uh, okay, maybe next Sunday or next month, I'll start to truly prepare to worship, and I'll start to truly worship him. No, what's wrong with today? What's wrong with now? It's not something to be put off. True worship requires initiation. You must initiate that preparation for true worship and engage in that true worship. Why not today? If you weren't, if you decide at the end of this morning's message, maybe you weren't worshiping truly as you sang those beautiful words, purpose in your heart to initiate true worship today in your life. Make your life a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, Paul writes in Romans 12. True worship requires implementation. The disciples brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them, and he sat on their coats. You have a plan for worship. You must implement that plan. It's not enough to just think about it. I have a plan. Act on that plan. Work that plan. Let's look at praising him in true worship and see what's involved there. True worship may involve personal cost. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road. Now understand something about this. This is going to be a donkey with the Lord on it walking across your Sunday best. Now, fortunately, I don't have Sunday best, so this wouldn't affect me quite as much as perhaps you. But they spread their coats. Clothing was valuable to them. They didn't just go to Kohl's or wherever or order online from Amazon some, some clothing. They had, to, they had to save for the fabric. They had to purchase the fabric. They had to make the clothing. And here, probably the most expensive piece of clothing they had, their outer coat. They took that off. Nothing, no possession they had was too valuable to lay down, not just for the Lord to ride over, but for a donkey to step on, a donkey that had the Lord sitting on it. Think about that, the personal cost involved. Now, we may be thinking about some old coat we have. Instead of giving it to the Salvation Army, sure, we'll lay it down there. But this was valuable to them. True worship may involve personal cost. There will be a time in every believer's life, just about every believer, where there will be personal expense in order to worship the Lord properly. You know, in 1 Chronicles chapter 21 and verse 24, the Lord spoke to David and told David, go to the field of Ornan, acquire that field, build an altar, and offer a burnt offering, a sacrifice to me. So David goes, and Arnon greets his king. When he finds out what he wants, he says, no problem, I'll give you the land. I'll give you the animals for the burnt offering. I'll give you the materials for the altar. I'll give it all to you. What does David say to him in verse 24? He says, I will not worship the Lord with that which costs me nothing. 
True worship may involve personal cost. We have a saying in English, put your money where your mouth is. Now, I'm not asking for your money. The church is not asking for your money. God's word is clear. It's free will. It's from the heart. Let each one do just as he has purposed in his own heart, not grudgingly, not under compulsion. Why? For God loves a cheerful giver. That's what Paul writes to the Corinthians. So we're not asking for your money. But God forbid that we worship him with something that doesn't cost us anything. That's the lesson that we're to take home. However that will look in your life, it may look different in my life than yours, that's okay. Do just as you have purposed in your own heart. True worship, though, will involve personal effort. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. It took effort, more effort for some to get out of bed this morning, prepare themselves physically and spiritually to come here and worship the Lord. I don't think there's a single person here who came today because there's a fellowship luncheon. Let's get through everything else. Let's get right to the fellowship luncheon. That's not why you came. You came because the Lord meets his people here so you can have an encounter with God and Christ. But it involved personal effort. True worship will involve personal effort. True worship must have a voice. It's not enough to say, I'm a worshiper of God. I'm a worshiper of Christ. True worship must have a voice. The crowd's going ahead of him and those following. He was surrounded by true worshipers, and they were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The Greek form of the Hebrew, Hoshana. Save now, deliver now. That's what they were talking about. They wanted salvation. Now, they had their own idea about salvation, deliverance from the oppressive Roman Empire that had occupied their land. But they were crying out for salvation to the son of David. And they said, blessed. In the Jewish mind and in the Hebrew Bible, there's two, two key words for blessing and blessed. One has to do with man being happy as a result of God blessing him. The other word, and that's what would be used here, would be a word that acknowledges the Lord God as the source of all blessing. Everything in your life that you are blessed with this word would acknowledge him as the source, the provider of all that you have. He who comes in the name of the Lord. This was what they said about him. He represented the Lord. He came in Yahweh's name. We know the word name sometimes doesn't mean just your actual name. It's your reputation. I doubt anyone ever said this, stop in the name of law and order. Well, we don't expect to see Mr. Law and Mrs. Order walking down the street. It's what does law and order stand for? Okay, it's, it has to do with what it stands for, for the reputation. And that's what name is. He has a good name in the community, a good reputation. We use it that way. Here, the Lord Jesus Christ came in the name of Yahweh. He said, I always do those things that please the Father. And the Lord God spoke from heaven. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, thoroughly pleased with. True worship must have a voice. Oh, that our voices ring out, not just in song here, but on our knees in thanksgiving and appreciation at home or while we're commuting Let's give voice in gratitude and appreciation 
for who he is and what he has done for us. He rescued us from sin and death and hell. All those who have trusted in him and his work of salvation that he accomplished on the cross when he bore the sins of the world in his body on that cross, bled and died, suffered the wrath and judgment of God so that you would never have to if you would cry out to him for salvation. Trusting not in what you can do, not in your prayers, not in what you give to the church, not that you're in fellowship at Grace Gospel Church, trusting only in him for salvation and what he did on the cross. True worship recognizes Jesus' right to rule. The crowds were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. See, for the Jews, they loved certain passages of Scripture. And some of their favorite passages were in 2 Samuel chapter 7 and 1 Chronicles 17. It's parallel accounts talking about the same event. The Lord God made an unconditional covenant with David. An unconditional covenant, just like we've been hearing about, like our brother Gilson preached about from Genesis 15. The unconditional covenant with Abraham, God made other ones. He made one with David, and he made a new covenant in the blood of Christ. Unconditional. We don't work. We don't have a part in it. We just trust in what he has done. In 2 Samuel 7, 1 Chronicles 17, the Lord God tells David, that one of his descendants will rule on the throne of David forever. And God will be a father to him, and he will be like a son, and he will never do anything to displease the father. And his kingdom will last forever. That's what the son of David meant. All that, all that's revealed in 2 Samuel 7 and 1 Chronicles 17. When they called him son of David, they were telling him that he is David's greater son who has a right to the throne of David and will rule righteously forever. And he comes in the name of the Lord. He represents the Father. If the eldest son instructed the servants in the field Stop your work here. Go and work over there in that other field. The servants obeyed just as if the eldest son's father had spoken. When the eldest son spoke, it was as if the father spoke. Christ came in the name of his father. He came in the name of Yahweh. When he spoke, it was as if the father spoke. In John 14... When, uh, <clears throat> when the Lord is questioned, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. And he said, have I been so long with you, Philip, and yet you have not come to know me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. Hebrews 1 tells us that, that he is the image of God, the exact representation of his nature, of God's nature, and he upholds all things by the world the word of his power. Christ perfectly represented his father. You want to know what God is like? Read about what Christ is like. Then you know what God is like. True worship recognizes Jesus' right to rule. Not you and I. We don't rule. We serve. We serve him. True worship is focused on Jesus. When he had entered Jerusalem, all the city stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is Jesus! The most recognizable name in all the world. For the last 2,000 years, most of the last 2,000 years, Jesus. True worship is focused on Jesus. It's not focused on the quality of the music or the quality of the preaching. 
It's focused on Jesus. The music shouldn't get in the way of true worship. The preaching shouldn't get in the way of true worship. You want to know a key characteristic of true musical worship and true preaching worship? It focuses you on Jesus. It gets your eyes. It gets my eyes off of you and me and onto him. That is true worship. It's focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not focused on any man. It's not focused on any activity. If it is not focused on him, it is not true worship. Look, you and I have nothing that we can offer to God of any value except for one thing, his son, that he's well-pleased in, he's well-pleased with. Offer Jesus Focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. True worship is always focused on Jesus. Let's ponder these closing verses now and see how they are connected with the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ in this passage as the rightful king who is worthy of your worship and mine. First thing you need to understand is Jesus looks for true worship. He wants to see true worship. In verse 12, Jesus entered the temple. In the city of Jerusalem, on the temple mount, was the temple that King Herod was still in the process of building at this time. He'd been building it for 46 years. He'd build it for another 40 years before it would be complete. Jesus, the first thing he did when he went into Jerusalem, he didn't go to David's throne and sit on it and announce himself the rightful king. He entered the temple. The temple was the focal point of Jewish religious life. It was the center of worship in Jerusalem and in Israel and in the life of every Jew. It's where the sacrifices were offered. Jesus looks for true worship. Brothers and sisters, our body is a temple, Scripture says. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. When the Lord Jesus Christ looks into this temple and into your temple, does he find true worship? I pray so. I hope so. The Lord is looking for true worship in each and every one of us. May it never be that instead of true worship, he finds this scene. Jesus requires true worship to be exclusive, to be undivided. I mean, this is exactly what he taught. No man can serve two masters, for either will hate the one and love the other or will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in riches. You cannot serve God in anything else. You cannot serve God in your own pride, your own reputation, your own dreams and aspirations. The Lord doesn't deny us those. We just have to make sure that our purpose, our ambition in all of those is to bring him glory. Jesus requires, though, that true worship be exclusive. Jesus drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. That temple was not to be shared with other activity. That's why I loved uh, our sister's prayer this morning after, uh, when she d- gave the announcements. She prayed that we would be, she didn't know that this slide was here. She didn't know this was going to be spoken about, but this is the heart of worship coming out, wanting for every one of us what is true of her, an undivided heart, an eye, a single eye focused on devotion to the Lord. All else, she prayed, be put out of heart and mind, the troubles of this past week, the trials and difficulties of our coming week, put them out. Focus on him. And you'd be surprised, like 
the lyrics of that old traditional hymn. When we focus on him, fix your eye upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. There's a reason why he wants us to focus on him. Not to puff him up. He deserves all our praise and worship, but he also wants us to focus on him so the things of the earth grow strangely dim. I hope and pray that next week, before we gather together as a church again, rather it be in the sky, but if the Lord tarries and we gather again together here, I hope every single one of us prays those words that our, that our sister prayed. That we are able to put out all the things of the world, all the things that are troubling us, all the things that excite us, all the things we are looking forward to, all the things we never want to see again, and just focus on him. True worship must be exclusive. Jesus requires true worship be spiritual. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayers, but you have made it a robber's den or a den of thieves. True worship is to be spiritual. If it's not spiritual, it's not true worship. How do we know what he means by, or what I mean by spiritual here? Look, a house of prayer versus a den of thieves, a robber's den. What were they doing? They were buying and selling. They were exchanging currency. But in the process, they were cheating their fellow Jews who had, with sincere hearts and obedience to the law of Moses, come to that temple to worship. I won't go into the details of how they were doing it, but if you're interested, ask me. I'll explain it afterwards. I, I, I owe you 10 minutes from last time I preached, and I, I want to get it back to you today. Besides, there's food waiting, right? Though we didn't come for that, primarily. But true worship must be spiritual. It can't involve other things that do not glorify God and Christ. And the robbers then there, what they were doing to their fellow worshipers, how they were treating their fellow worshipers was not spiritual. It was fleshly. It was concerned with the things of this world, with materialism. Spiritual worship is not materialistic. It doesn't do harm to our fellow worshipers, our brothers and sisters in Christ. True worship attracts those who recognize their need. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple. Before he had healed a single one of them, they came to him. Why did they come to him? Because he cleaned out the temple. They didn't come to be healed primarily. They had just heard of or witnessed with their own eyes him cleansing the temple and restoring true worship to the Lord God. That's what they wanted to be part of. They recognized their need, not just for healing, but to connect with God through Christ. They rec recognized their need, and so they came. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, in the work of salvation he accomplished on the cross when he suffered and bled and died bearing the sins of the world, if you've never trusted in him for salvation, if you're trusting in something else besides what he and he alone did on the cross, recognize you have a deep spiritual need you are a spiritual pauper, bankrupt before him with nothing to offer. The Lord Jesus Christ said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or 
The Lord goes on, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Well, in that statement, what he's saying is they have nothing to give. Even if they, even if they acquired the whole world, they could not offer that in exchange for their eternal soul. Their eternal soul is more valuable even all the materialistic goods of this earth, this world, are not worth as much as your eternal soul. He left the glories of heaven, became a man, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that you and I, through his poverty, might become rich, Paul writes to the Corinthians. If you've never trusted in Jesus, recognize your need you are spiritually blind. You don't see the truth. You are spiritually lame. You can't walk in paths of righteousness and be pleasing to God. Come to him. Come to Jesus. I beseech you. I urge you. I beg you. Before it's too late, come to him and be saved. Fall before him and cry out, be merciful to me, the sinner. Save me. Deliver me. Hosanna, son of David. Cry out to him the way the crowds did. True worship attracts those who recognize their need. But true worship for those who recognize their need brings healing to their soul. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. He will heal you. The scripture says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Cry out to him in sincerity and truth believing everything the Word of God says about you, that you are a sinner, that you're not righteous. The Word of God says that about me and about you. Believe everything it says about him, that he is Lord of all, that he obtained eternal salvation by what he did on the cross. True worship will bring healing to your soul. Brothers and sisters, if you've already trusted in him, True worship will bring healing to our souls from all of the bruises and wounds that this world and this past week inflicts upon us. True worship will bring healing to our soul as well. When we come and, and we engage in true worship, it's almost like the Lord opens the alabaster jar of ointment himself and anoints us. I go from this place every Sunday. This is the high point of my week. I go from this place with a song in my heart. Uh, all the burdens are gone. I hope that's your experience as well and that you use that to focus on him and to worship him truly. True worship is not restricted by age. The children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. It doesn't matter if you're a newborn babe in Christ. What were they shouting? Hosanna, save, deliver. It was the gospel. If all you know as a babe in Christ is the gospel, sing praise to him and thank him for it. After all, turn to Revelation chapter 5. You see what they're doing in heaven? They sang a new song. Oh, I want to learn that new song. They sang a new song to the Lamb. They said, worthy art thou to receive worship and praise and honor and glory because you were slain and did redeem man, mankind from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. The song they're singing in heaven is the gospel. You can sing that if you are a child, a babe in Christ. You're going to see in a little bit the Lord wants that worship as well. True worship is opposed, though, at times by religious hypocrites. But the chief priests and the scribes, the scribes were the experts in the Mosaic law. They were like the preachers of the day. The chief priests and the scribes if anyone should have welcomed Jesus Christ, if anyone should have recognized him as the promised Messiah, it should have been them. But they were religious hypocrites. 
They saw the wonderful things he had done, the healings. They couldn't deny them. It was right there before their eyes. They saw the children shouting Hosanna to the son of David, and what happens? They become indignant. When someone speaks ill of you for the name of Christ, realize the same thing happened 2,000 years ago on this occasion. Because the object of true worship was being opposed. People will speak ill of true worship because they speak ill of the true one who is worshiped. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things he had done, and the children shouting Hosanna to the son of David, to him, they became indignant. They, a, a true worship is opposed because the one who is the truth, Jesus Christ, is opposed by them. And if the object of true worship, Jesus Christ, is opposed, don't be surprised if you're opposed by others. True worshipers may be opposed as well. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the children shouting Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant and said to him, do you hear what these children are saying? They were opposed to the children because they were opposed to him. It will happen. Jesus Christ taught his disciples that. The servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Opposition to true worship has the wrong focus. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the children, not heard the children, not heard the children shouting praise, and worship to Jesus, but saw. They were more focused on who the person was, not on the quality of worship, not on the truth of the worship, but on the worshipers, particularly the children. When they saw the children shouting and said to him, do you hear what these are saying? Not just, do you hear what is being said about you? No, but do you see what these children Again, they're focused on the children. When someone opposes your true worship, they have the wrong focus. They're not focused on Jesus. If they were focused on Jesus, they would not oppose the worship. They would not oppose him. They would not oppose your worship. Jesus receives all true worship. Jesus said to them, have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes you have prepared praise for yourself. In fact, in another passage, one of the other Gospels, it says, when, when they told him, tell them to be quiet and stop. He said, if these be quiet, the stones will cry out. God's able to bring forth praise from infants, nursing babes, stones, and even me. And you as well. Jesus receives all true worship. You know, you might think that, well, I'm just a newborn babe in Christ. I haven't been a Christian that long. I don't know the word of God that well. I haven't walked with the Lord that long. Oh, there's still so many things that aren't right in my life. And at times I'm so unchristlike. All that may be true, but he wants true worship from you anyways. Even if you're a babe in Christ. You can worship him truly. You don't have to be saved for 10 or 20 years. You don't have to be part of a ministry in order to truly worship him. I hope and pray as you grow in the Lord, you will become part of a ministry here at Grace Gospel Church and serve the Lord and his people. But Jesus receives all true worship. And then very sad, Jesus departs from those who fail to worship truly. And he left them and went out. The saddest words in these 17 verses. He left them. Oh, may it never be that the Lord leaves any of you. Turn to him and be saved. Turn to him for forgiveness of sins. While there's still time, there will come a time 
when the day of your life will dawn or the sun will set, excuse me, and he will turn and leave. Instead of your Savior, he will become your judge. He departs from those who fail to worship truly. May it never be that he departs from anyone here this morning. In conclusion, let me give you a parting challenge, three of them. Today, will you turn to Jesus in faith and cry out to him to save you? May his triumph over sin and death and hell become your triumph when you turn to him for salvation and your sins are forgiven. Cry out to him, Hosanna, son of David, and he will save you. Today, will you obey him with unquestioning experience? Go and untie the colt. Well, isn't that theft? Aren't you asking us to misappropriate someone else's property? Without question, they went and obeyed and told the owners the Lord has need of them. Oh, the Lord, take them. Whatever I have that can serve him is his. Will we begin to obey him with unquestioning obedience? You know, I'm not quite sure if this verse is right. Uh, maybe I, I, I need to get more confirmation. Let me study it another year or two before I obey it. No. Obey him with unquestioning, unquestioning obedience. And today, will you truly worship him with humility and with a clean temple of obedience? To him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, how we thank you for your beloved son. And oh, how glorious he is. That he would leave the glories of heaven, veil all his divine glory in flesh, and become a man like we are, partake of flesh and blood. And yet he's still so glorious. Every word about him, dear God, thrills our hearts as we read it in the pages of your word. Oh, Lord, would you be pleased to give us undivided hearts of true worship to you. Help us each week and every day to put out a mind all those things that weigh upon us and intrude and interfere with true worship. May our focus, Lord God, by your grace and for your glory be only on him and not on anything else. Lord, we ask that you would be pleased to mold and shape each one of us into true worshipers of yourself. We ask this not for our blessing or benefit, but for the honor and glory of your name. Amen.